welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like dating a late person, (laughs) the pains of social distancing, and making a real break in a toxic relationship. But before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that we are not licensed to do this. <laughs> Nor are we professionals that have good equipment. Honestly, I probably am really hard on this mic cord that doesn't work. Um, anyway, it's a little bit off topic. Uh, we are not professionals. We are not trained in this. We are doing the best that we can, just like all of you. So please take our advice as you see fit. We are just here to offer our humble musings to hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love. That's right. In the time of tornadoes. Yes, and the time of pandemics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, hey, Sam, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Two, Two years, years. Can you believe? Uh, no. Yeah, I can't believe. Happy anniversary. I want to, before we get to our very special guest, I want to ask you quickly, Sam, um, do you like anniversaries? Is that something that you enjoy? Yeah, I think anniversaries are fun. I mean, I don't generally go all out, but I do. I think the marking the passage of time is important and yeah. being reflective and like the same way we talk about like New Year's. It's like, this is just a, a time to sit and think like how grateful we are or how far we've come or... Um, yeah even like whether or not we're happy in this relationship. So yeah. I feel like it's just like a good reminder for us to be reflective. Yeah, totally. So what do you normally do for your anniversaries? Uh, usually we like <laughs> go out to eat. And do you then record usually yourself like... talking in front of hundreds of people? <laughs> yeah, that's how it usually works. Uh, yeah. yeah, like going out to eat and then like probably getting tickets to like go see a musical or something. Fun. Fun. Yeah. yeah, I like anniversaries too, in the same way I like New Year's, like the mark of the passage of time. Mm-hmm. And so here's to just break up passing some wonderful time. That's right. <laughs> this is like officially my second longest relationship. So <laughs> <laughs> now that we've hit that two year mark, here we go. That's funny. Um, uh-huh. Okay. So, y'all, instead of a check in topic, we are going to have a very special guest. Um, I'm going to invite her onto this Zoom call right now, um, and as she's getting comfortable, then I'll tell you a little bit more about her. So incoming Zoom magical guest showing up, we have the fantastic Tanya Ingram with us today. Oh my God, Tanya, we're wearing like the same shirt. Yeah, that's cute. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I can't hear you. Check your audio. (laughs) My audio? Oh, I can hear you now. Okay, sorry. Things are all up in the air in this world. We were late, Tanya, because my mic wasn't working. Um, so now I'm using my computer audio. Anyway, I was just telling the world that you are the wonderful Tanya Ingram. You are a poet, author, uh, mental health advocate, performer, slash speaker. Um, and your work is amazing. Um, and your advocacy is amazing. And I couldn't, I couldn't say enough about you. But maybe you can... Um, Tell me, tell our listeners a little bit about you and your work or like what's important to you. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm so excited for them to hear your poems, but I thought you could introduce yourself first. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Tanya Ingram. I am 28. I'm from the Bronx, New York. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, I, yeah, a lot of my work, a lot of my poetry is very much health centered, both physical health and mental health. Um, I was diagnosed with lupus about eight, six years ago now. And so a lot of my work kind of centers around just bringing awareness, but also letting other people know that they're not alone in whatever they're dealing with. And so that's been my main focus. Um, I'm also a super fan of The Office. Um, I think Tom <laughs> Hardy is incredibly handsome. I have his mm-hmm. calendar on my wall. Um, and, and an amazing actor, too. Yeah, he's, he, yeah, he's, yeah, he's. You're like, I mean, like, talented, <laughs> sure. <but laughs> something to look at. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty much me. That's great. Um, we've known each other for, when did we meet? Through college nationals? Yeah. College I think nationals. so, right? Yeah, a million years ago. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and you're in LA right now, right? Yeah, in Los Angeles. Okay, cool. Um, so Sam and I host a relationship advice podcast. <laughs> um, and I know you have had your your life experience of relationship and or heartbreak, right? Um, that's actually some of my favorite work of yours. Uh, and do you have any, We whenever we have guests, which has been very, unfortunately, few, few and far between, but I like to ask them, like, if they had, had a favorite piece of relationship advice that they heard or that they've internalized or something over the years, do you have anything like that? Um, so yes, I, my, so my little sister who's in New York, she's 13. She's watching right now. Yeah. I I texted her for advice because at 28, I don't know anything, Um, (laughs) but I think she's a genius. And so I'm going to read you what she texted me. Um, and she said, it's always best to communicate with each other and be true to each other because it's good to build a friendship with your partner too. That is that is a smart 13 year old. I love that. Absolutely. That's, that is the communication is the foundation of all relationships. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So, uh, without further ado, I'd love for you to take the, take the main stage. I'm going to make you a speaker view, um, and you do your magic. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to be sharing a few poems, um, about just heartbreak, heart build, um, and, this first poem is actually inspired by Nayira Wai, who is a super inspiration for me. And it's entitled, When You Fall in Love Again. When you fall in love again, let it be messy, let it be lit, let it be life, let it be the business, the sauce, the shit on fleek, on God, on everything. When you fall in love again, let it cry your eyelashes off, Let it FaceTime you for hours. Let it explain to your best friends how cute this new person is. Let it give you wild thoughts and a DJ Khaled key to life when you fall in love again. Exclude the memories of your ex. For each time you were gaslighted because they could not love you out of the dark when you fall in love again. Let it harvest a kaleidoscope of butterflies, an oil painting for the oil, for the stomach drop you get when they text you back when you fall in love again. Let it be avocado toast and farmer's market, the kind of bumbling joy that gets you out of the house, out of a brawl with mental illness. When you fall in love again, let it be passing or forever a coffee shop crush or a walk down the aisle. Water it, feed it, nourish it, 
grow a love you can only give yourself one earth in a reason to see you as whole as holy and that is when you fall in love again <laughs> um okay i'm just gonna keep reading poems um, and so this first one is actually uh, a quote that I heard from this awesome person named Mala Minez. And her quote was, after the breakup is the glow up. After the breakup is the turn up, the bless up, the up and up, the ultralight beam, the choreography of yes, queen, talk to your body. After the breakup is the growth of your limbs, each part of you closer to the earth, the grand entrance, the main event. After the breakup is the shopping spree at Sephora, the dance classes no longer put off, the mansion of your heart finally able to open after the breakup, shake it off the sweat of your ex, the moments you were called crazy for daring to crawl outside of a love that was not a love. After the breakup is the marathon of whatever show gives you the drama you need. After the breakup is a birth of you that was always present, always here, always marvelous in your waking and resting a you that has learned a new language, a language that puts you first. How to invite yourself to fall in love again. Give your body a name it deserves. Carve the dream into a tree, the dream you keep returning to. Be the tune that reminds you of road trips and sand in between your toes. Study your stretch marks. Call each line of victory, a life you won. Bathe in glitter and no fucks given. Hit snooze on insecurity. Tell anxiety it can't sit with us. Devour what you crave and release expectation. Buy the wig, buy the Taco Bell, buy the gift of being okay with the lonely. Channel your inner Rihanna. Stay hydrated. Allow space for the weeping. Allow yourself the whole phase. Allow acceptance to be its own parade. Plant something. Write a lullaby to the rain, to the sound of washing away, of letting go. Call the homies and preach about the day you learn how to love yourself again. For the next lover, there will be days I forget the measurement of my worth. Days I will dive into the softest parts of myself. Will you know how to hold my hand and play Janis Joplin until weeping becomes the echo? Will you know lunchables and hand-holding makes the heavy a noiseless song? There will be days I string together memories of the most ugly kind. Memories of ex-lovers with sharp teeth. Memories of those who touched without consent. When you know how to hold me like the world is ending. Like we met under a meteorite with seconds to spare. There will be days my body is not mine. It will need repair. It will need dialysis. It will need rest. Will you run your fingers through my hair while it falls out? Will you trace my bad days and call it patience? Will you love me and love me and love me better than the last mistake I made? I wait for you. But until then, I give myself this magic. This love I call my own. <sighs> <clears throat> On the days you miss them, 
climb back into bed, order your favorite takeout, turn on RuPaul's Drag Race on the days you miss your ex, avoid the photographs, the text messages, the Facebook memories, remember the first time you met. Were you nervous? Remember the last time they said, I love you? Did you trust it? Remember how they had held your hand during chemotherapy, during breakdowns, during times of unease. Remember the gifts you exchanged, the arguments that stayed too long, the resentment that made a home in miscommunication. Remember when they forgot your name, the way it needs to be said. Remember when they forgot the kind of person you fight to be. It is okay to be the one who got away and who wants to return. Do not regret how big you love. Thunder does not lower its volume out of convenience. So these um, were all just a series of poems um, that I wrote after my own heartbreak and having to deal with that. And, and it was my first relationship and my first heartbreak. So like, it was just, it was a lot to deal with. And I, I left that relationship back home in New York and I moved to LA and a lot of those poems were birthed from the the breakup and, and that kind of cycle of emotions of missing them of you know wanting to move on you know the moment you finally move on and you come into your own and you, and you learn how to love yourself and then what do you want for your next lover um and so those were just all of those thoughts um this next poem i'm going to read was written um in my book prior to that one um where i talk about my struggles with loneliness um and 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 the opposite of that, which is love or learning what that means for myself. Here is what loneliness tells you. You are the only one. You are the girl who feels awkward referring to herself as a woman because some part of you is unable to grow into it, unable to launch melancholy to the West and leave it in an ocean. You are the good girl. Always the good girl and the quiet kick. You are the girl who finds men who need only to loan your body for the night. You are one night, never morning. You are house party and shadow and hard hands that know how to travel. You are a girl who travels alone for poems, for crying, for high. Aren't you tired of writing about faceless men? All who want your words, all of them made of grin, cheek and game, all of them some kind of actor of slow exhaustion, slow fading. You are the girl who texts too much. You are made of too much, and so you deserve ignore. You deserve an Uber home. You deserve, but we had a good time because what more are you made of? What more than the good? It's anchor, it's slingshot, it's online dating app, it's aimless run. You are the girl who runs into the same ocean where you left grief before you grew into it. And here is what love tells you. You are yours before you choose anyone else. You are cicada and buzz, loose flannel and cup green tea. You are soft knuckles, the kind to know warmth like dawn. You are dance alone. You are unafraid of alone. It is acoustic, the rain. It is his name and its irrelevance. It is your name and its blossom. It's awakened. It is run to the ocean and there is no sadness. And there is no sadness. And there is no sadness. You are growing into a woman, 
a woman who knows her name. That is that. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I think another component of, I think, heartbreak or relationships is learning how to also find joy, find your joy, especially coming out of heartbreak. And so uh, this poem is entitled How to Make Room for Joy. I want to put a disclaimer. Um, these poems were written pre-COVID, so uh, please ignore some of the uh, advice. <laughs> um, but this is How to Make Room for Joy. Book a flight. Select the window seat. Remind yourself that you belong to the sky and everything beneath it. Grab the basketball and practice your jump shot. Remember that we learn best from the shots we miss. Drink ginger tea, drink a shot of tequila, eat all of the sourdough bread, grab the quilt and let it hug your body. Let it give you a warmth on the days the chill feels impossible to shake. Give yourself light instead. Sit in the garden with nothing but your exhale and a breeze, a brush from the wind. Listen to Jacob Banks. Let the music bring you home. Clip your toenails. Spell freedom with your favorite memory and not an ode to guilt. Put shame on silent. Shower in cocoa butter bath soap and patience for yourself. Dance. Two-step. Pop your back. Sweat the insecurity out. Polish your nails in the brightest triumph. Remember your body. Remember hydration is not just about the water we drink, but the water we return to. Find what calls you. Give it your name. Whisper to the earth a secret. Make space for tears, for failure, for confusion. Because after the flood comes the knowing, a validation that was always yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are we doing on the time? We're good. Okay, awesome. Awesome. I'm just going to keep going. Um, how to be alone. Find a book, a story made of escape, a story to widen the smile, leave the headphones behind and wander. Wander into the thrift shop, the flower shop, your heart shop, spend too many hours in Target. Price your favorite lamp and come back to it. Let it be a reminder that you are worthy of light. Learn the meaning of your name, the one you want to be called. Find a forest and a moment to give thanks. Daydream without restriction. Fart. Sing your favorite Broadway musical off-key. Buy a balloon and write about a romance that left you breathless. Then let it go. Make room for a new memory. For a peace that is undeniably yours. Build a fort. Welcome your insecurities. Tell them to rest. To take a break. Pray for a loneliness that does not hurt. Pray for a loneliness like a river like a stream, like a cuddle, like the last time someone broke your heart, but not your story. Alone is not a chorus. Alone is an encore we give ourselves to keep from fading. How to heal. Think of the heartbreak, the doctor's visit, the day you wished was over. Remember how small the world felt how easy it was to not return to yourself. Marvel at your hands for everything they open. Light a candle, recite Michelle Obama, make a smoothie, fill it with the fruits of your ancestors with the sweetness worth keeping. Block the account, 
Do not look at the photo of your ex in their new love at the beach, on the grass, and where you failed. Instead, tell yourself you belong here to the church of Lizzo and better days. Open the windows and put away the laundry. There is a buffet of possibilities with your name on it, a bed of pillows waiting for your arrival. Healing is not linear, not a competition. It is all we hold sacred, how we call on tomorrow while leaning on today. Ba, ba, ba. Um, so this next piece is really short. Um, it's a series of questions for my ex that I was inspired um, from Marie Andrew. So it's questions for my ex. One, when did you know? Two, does it hurt when our song comes on? Three, where is the photo of me on the four train holding your favorite book? Did you show them? Did you delete it? Four, can they hold your breath in theirs and call that sacrifice? Five, what time was it when you stopped giving a fuck? Six, did it hurt when I loved you? Seven, did it heal when I left you? Eight, was it me? Nine, can I let you go now? I want to be more than a good fuck, more than my body laid out for the picking, for the feast. I want someone to take me out of my clothes and my depression. I want to sleep alongside them knowing I am not their morning shame, not a woman who is usable but recyclable, good for now but not good for the next day. I want more than what you can put inside of me for what can enter and leave so quickly, so fast out the door it calls me an Uber before I put my shirt back on. I know the signs of my heart. What exhausted, what good, good loving I can offer. I want more than crying over another them. Telling my friends the ex ain't shit, but still having to hold loneliness like a lover who has yet to leave. I want more than the excuse of it's me, not you. When it really screams I am selfish and cannot admit it, I want to be a storm you dance in. Not one you watch from the inside of your room comfortable and still have water by my downpour leave me to my peace one where you do not interrupt if you do not want to stay uh, um, how to survive today it's the small things the extra fries at the bottom of the bag the 50 percent sale off everything the nail not tripping today. Each time you drop your phone and there is no crack. The base of your grandmother's laughter. Cardi B getting her entire life. Going through checkout and your card not being declined. A hot shower. Someone to text. Stretching your back. Making no time for the bullshit. The brows. No longer sisters but twins. The dinner you don't have to pay for. The DJ playing the one song you've been singing all day. Making it home safely. The symptoms finally quiet. The doctor with good news. The house to yourself. It's the small things. A construction of hope. A house of abundance. Everything good greeting you at the door. And welcoming you home. I don't know about all y'all, but like this quarantine has been just a lot. Um, so I'm just really appreciative to be in a space where I can just kind of channel that through these poems. So I just want to say thank y'all for, for that. Um, yeah. 
I want to make mistakes, bold, unruly mistakes. I want to scrape my knee while learning how to skateboard. I want to make out on the dance floor. Give me face and palm truth. Give me stunning faults. I want to stay out too late. I want to fail the exam. Come on, luxurious error. I want to move to the wrong city. I want to bite my nails and burp at the dinner table. There is nothing honest about perfection. There is no growth in comfort. Hold me, misguided heart. Bring me home, righteous wrong. I want to learn the dance of thriving, how to fall on my face and be in love with every scar. None of this is against you. The groceries you dropped while trying to get your keys, the traffic you are stuck in, the person who won't text you back, the mosquito bite on your left elbow, the rain you did not bring an umbrella for. No, you're not busy chaos or open flaw. The extraordinary happens when we stop looking for it. The train you just missed, the diagnosis, the love you lost, it got you here with a lot learned and a damn good story. Sometimes that is all we can ask for. Sometimes that is enough. And I have two more short poems. Um, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you. It is okay to be the draft, the unfinished, the still working on it, the not yet to hang up on the bill collector, to sweat in places you shouldn't sweat, to ask someone to prom and get rejected. It is okay to pile your uncertainties, to run into a glass door, to define alone as a song you wrote for yourself. It is okay to not have the words, to shut the blinds and collect the sadness, to hydrate, deactivate and meditate in that order to be afraid of how the next one will handle your heart. It is okay to give side eye and deep breathe because there was once a day like the one you were having and you made it out of that one. Remember that it is okay to be constantly in the making. And this last poem is entitled How to Be Strong. And I think in dealing with relationships with people, loved ones, even with yourself, I think there's this idea of strength and be strong, be strong, be strong. And I, I just don't believe in that. I think there's a vulnerability in just showing up as you are. And so um, I think I'm doing that right now. I'm just showing up as I am. I'm, I mean, this, this quarantine hasn't been easy for many people, um, for, for you know, everyone, I believe. And just speaking for myself, having to deal with quarantine and, and a health issue and being far from home and loneliness, it's a lot, you know? Um, and, and I'm okay with not being strong. I'm okay if I just, just want to stay in bed. And, and I just want to encourage anyone watching this that, that that's, that's okay. It's okay to show up exactly as you are. And then that is more than enough. So this is how to be strong. And uh, thank you both, uh, Sierra and Sam, for having me, truly. How to be strong. Don't. Be a hot mess. An ugly cry in the emergency room. The third rejection letter this week. 
ruin your makeup while weeping over the unpaid parking ticket, the overdue phone bill. Download OkCupid immediately after the ex you met on OkCupid leaves you. Borrow a shoulder to lean on and a Spotify playlist to lose your voice to find a bubble bath after dialysis. Find a cute dog after an anxiety attack. Find your name after you were called out of it. Write a love poem to the day you could not get out of bed. Laugh at the negative balance in your bank account. Be bold about your fears, about the diagnosis, about the day you thought you would not make it. Strength is an occupation, a marigold and dust, a thing we cannot see when the world is ending, but a reminder we keep when we survive long enough to see that it has not. Thank you so much, friends. I love y'all. <laughs> oh, Tanya, it is such an it is such an honor to share you with our audience. And if they are, if they don't know you already, um, it is just such a you um, say you touch on so many things that we value as humans and as podcast hosts and I just am I feel like such a privilege to be, uh, it's such a privilege to be a friend and to um, be a colleague in this writing world and I'm just so grateful to share you with our listeners um, before we send you on your, our way I want to um, just ask you about your book um, how to survive today which is your third book um, and I saw you reading out of another black girl miracle which is also an amazing book um, uh, but will you talk about your most recent one? I actually, during the release week, I shouted it out at the end of the, every episode we share um, a, a blind date, something we want to send people up with. And I shouted the book out, um, but I love how interactive the book is. So if you could like talk about it a little bit, I think it's so worth buying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is the book, How to Survive Today, um, came out with Wild Awake publishing uh, so shout out to Jenny um, and Claire who helped Claire Biggs who helped um, edit this so just want to give them their, their due um, but how to survive today uh, poems prompts and affirmations for those of us still finding our way so there are a bunch of how-tos as, as you just heard and a lot of the book is very interactive so you can actually write in it um, these are like circles where I, where I ask on the days you feel lonely, what, what will you need? And you just kind of fill it in. Um, so it's part journal, part poetry, part affirmations. It's the hug you need. It's the journal. It, it's the friend, um, you know, when on the days you don't have anyone, and you just need something to spill out towards. And so um, that, that's how to survive today. I think it's also pretty appropriately titled for 2020. Uh, yeah. So need some survival <laughs> yeah, There you go. <laughs> yeah. 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 And everybody can find Tanya Ingram um, on social media at Tanya Ingram, T O N Y A I N G R A M. Um, and that's your website as well, tanyaingram.com. So, um, yeah, everybody go find Tanya. Tanya, thank you so much. It is such thank a privilege so to much. hear you read. Um, I'm such a fan. So, thanks. Thank you. Thank Bye. You so Have a great night. Thank you. Okay, so that was amazing. Tiny Ingram. I we don't even her. need to do the podcast anymore. Oh, she just said so everything perfect. that we would say anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I know she touched on 
done it all. I was like, oh, just break up bingo. <laughs> um, I'm so glad to share here with everybody. Um, anyway, uh, I think that it's time that we could maybe get into our letters. Do you feel ready for like the second two years in a row? Do you want to basically what I'm saying is, do you want to kick off year three? Oh, wow. I know. That's an intense way to put it. <laughs> well, make sure to say that to your spouse next time you celebrate an anniversary. <laughs> oh, I do. I'm always like, can you believe we've been together for so long? Yeah. But this is what I'm saying is this is the first episode in our third year of podcasting. I'm just looking, I'm rounding up. I like that you do things that make it feel like there's more pressure on us to perform and like, let's just Constantly. like add another thing. Yeah. That's let's, why let's just... I <laughs> fucked up my microphone before I did this. Okay. <laughs> I knew you did it on purpose because you love attention so much. I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Let's get into our first letter. I'm ready. Um, so this comes from chronically punctual who is writing from Brisbane, Australia. Brisbane. Brisbane, I said it right. I had to like remind myself, don't say Brisbane. Um, yeah, Brisbane. Yeah, I've never been to Australia, but we're going to go say one words day. Then, yeah. We're going to go day. one day. Yeah, in 2027 or something. Don't be pessimistic. <laughs> okay, I won't. <laughs> anyway, chronically punctual writes, I'll cut straight to the chase. I have a beautiful girlfriend who is chronically late. I'm a moderately punctual person. I love that phrase. I'm moderately <laughs> punctual. <laughs> Sometimes I'm a few minutes behind, but generally, if I'm doing something I'm keen about, I'm on time. My partner's lateness isn't to everything isn't personal. I know that, but it's starting to drive me up the wall. I've had to rearrange plans and dates quite a few times in the three months we've been together because she's been left behind schedule. I've told her how it makes me feel, unprioritized, like she can't focus on our plans, etc. And she's generally apologetic, but it happens constantly. I am trying to let her lateness teach me to be more flexible and laid back, but it is really getting to me. We are still very new to each other, though moving in together soon. We love a U-Haul. And it's not a big issue by any means, but just one of those things that we can act that can really wear at me. I also hate being short with her about it, but I can't help but express my frustration when she tells me, okay, actually leaving now an hour before she actually leaves. Mm. Please help me be the partner I want to be with some practical tips. P.S. How good is it to have this problem after having years of genuinely toxic partners and problems? <laughs> I do feel gratitude. Love you guys to the moon. All right. Chronically punctual. I love this letter. Um, I love it because while we've never actually gotten a letter about it, I know that this is a thing. I know it's that people... It's totally a thing. Um, I was telling, I was picking out, um, I was telling Will about the letters this morning and she was like, oh, well, that's going to be an issue. <laughs> <laughs> like, like saying that like early on, maybe it's not an issue now, but if she, I was like, they're about to move in together. And she said, oh, it's going to be an issue. <laughs> not like so ominously uh -huh. as that sounds, but um, okay. Uh, I love that. Willow's just like, yeah, it's going to be an issue. No advice whatsoever. <laughs> just like. No, that's going to be a problem. Uh, yeah, good luck with that, y'all. Hopefully um, you figure it out. <laughs> okay, so uh, before we dive into our unqualified advice, uh, have you experienced anything like this? Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, here's the thing. Here's the, the thing. Are you the punctual one? I am. I would say that I am a moderately late person. Mm, me too. So I, um, 
I will frequently arrive on time to places and then sit in my car for like five to 10 minutes because I, I was always taught that you don't show up to like, unless it's like a doctor's appointment or like a dentist appointment or something. Oh, so like a social like, engagement. Yeah, yeah. You don't show up on time because, because mm. you don't want to be rude and, and like come like go into a person's house or like walk into a bar when the person's not ready for you. So I always <laughs> give people like a little bit of like leeway. Yeah, I am okay. married to a man who, who gets places very punctual 20 minutes early. <laughs> yes. He, yes. I have been to parties with Mr. Popowski in which, um, have we ever said his last name on the podcast? Spencer, just bleep it out. <laughs> <laughs> We're on the 30 second delay, right? <laughs> um, when Peter, um, will, uh, be will show up early and and just like offer to help because he knows that he's early you know anyway yes we're getting a little off topic but i love peter um no but it's like for him it's an act of kindness to be there beforehand and offer to help set up and and in contrast to that i was told once when i was younger that making people wait for me was an act of subconscious selfishness and that was a huge trigger for me because the <laughs> yeah, were words... you like, fuck you, go die? <laughs> no, I was like, <laughs> I'm a terrible person. Oh, like, that's right. We react to criticism differently. Very differently. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you want to know what the funniest part is? I changed after, after that person said that to me. Cause then all of a sudden I felt like so terrible that I, selfish is also like a trigger word for me because That's a type two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, it's very it's challenging for me to hear that word. Um, so uh, whether it's true or not, um, and at that time, maybe maybe I was being selfish or inconsiderate of the labor or schedule that other people had like that, mm. that just, you know, back then I thought like, oh, just because it took me 45 minutes to get ready and you 10 doesn't mean I'm being selfish. <laughs> um, uh-huh. But uh, but the person who said that to me has a point that I want to take the essence from, mm-hmm. um, because I, I want to be careful that I'm not calling the girlfriend. I don't think people who are late are selfish. I'm not that much of a, like, I don't, now that I'm a more fully formed adult, I don't actually believe that sentiment that sure. was told to me, but I do think that it shifted my understanding that my time, how I use my time always has an impact on other people when I have shared experiences with them mm-hmm. or shared plans or whatever. And if it, it is a really easy way to accidentally make someone feel unappreciated or disrespected. You know what I mean? Like, sure. it, yep. um, I don't think that people who are later selfish because that would make you and I very selfish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um we I'm not selfish. Just, just, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I, it did help me reframe my understand. My, I guess, like when I was younger, I had less of an understanding of the impact that my actions had on other people. And mm. I think lateness is a simple manifestation of that. That, like, yeah, it's 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 not that bad when you're five minutes five minutes late all the time or whatever. But it can it can wear on a relationship because it makes mm. you like the letter writer says, it makes them feel unprioritized or, or like something else is going on. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. I, I agree with that, but I also do want to create space for the understanding that time is a cultural paradigm. (laughs) I thought you were going to say, 
say time is a concept. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It like it literally is a concept. Um, and no, just to like, I so I can see that a hundred percent, right? Like, yeah. and I the I am also like a chronological time thinker, so like yeah. that resonates with me. Yeah. But on the flip side, uh, there are folks who view time in a different way are actually totally. trying to be really respectful of people, other people by not like cutting a conversation short just because they have someplace else to go or they need to mm. be someplace by a certain time. Right. So sometimes it might be like, yeah, I got hung up talking to my sister for 45 minutes and I wanted to show her respect by not saying I got someplace to be, and I need to mm. be there at this time. Right. And so I think it's important to say like, yes, your partner's lateness can make you feel a certain way, right? Mm -hmm. But that isn't that also isn't necessarily what the partner is doing, right? And it isn't necessarily, and in fact, they might be showing respect in a different way than you're than you're used to. Or um, receiving, yeah. Absolutely. Like you might and so not like, be receiving it, yeah. And so I don't want to say, like, I don't want us to come across as being like late people are awful people or like late people are selfish because there are multiple different reasons right. why people don't value promptness in the same way that many of us do. Um, totally. And it's important to like recognize that. And I think that this is a good challenge for us. And you talk about this in your your letter, like this is an opportunity to learn some flexibility mm -hmm. or to like learn that time doesn't have to be on the hour every hour, right? Like right. It, it doesn't have to exist in that way. While also making sure that you're saying like, and when you're an hour and a half late, like that doesn't work for me, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like where is the, this is a good, I think a really good letter in multiple ways because mm -hmm. I think it's like, it seems so simple, but in reality, there's so many different nuances at play here that are important to be able to, to understand and work through. And it's like, it's something that's simple so that we can talk about it in mm -hmm. really simple ways but like elucidates the challenges of being in a relationship with people, which is that like, you're coming at the world with two different worldviews and two different understandings of how you move in that world. Mm -hmm. And you have to oh figure out how to uh, like be flexible and adapt and learn new perspectives while also understanding like what your boundaries are. Oh like God, what so are right. the things that you need to say? Like, nope, yeah. this is like, this is a value for me. And like, we're, we're going to stick to this one. I And what you were saying made me realized that like we talk about boundaries as though they're like walls that we put up or barriers or rules of engagement or whatever but right. boundaries are is just another word for like um actions that protect us or like like a boundary can be anything to put up a boundary can be blocking someone to uh, put mm -hmm. up to put up a or like to not put up because if they're not walls to um to enforce a boundary can be to decide to cut that conversation off because you want to prioritize being on time or whatever. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? That like yep. when you were giving that really great example, it made me realize that both people in this letter, both partners in this letter um, can work on their understanding or maybe, or maybe better um, establishing what type of boundaries they want to have around time and their management of time. Um, and again, just like you said, this is not shaming people who are late or shaming people who want to be prompt. Mm -hmm. But um, I actually wrote down a quote that I'm, I was going to shout out in the next letter, but it's so it's so applicable. Um, this psychotherapist, Joyce Martyr, said that boundaries should be firm enough that you feel comfortable and safe 
yet permeable enough that you allow love and intimacy to flow between you and another person. Oh my God. She said what I just said, but like way better. (laughs) So I appreciate you finding that quote. (laughs) Professionals. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, But so thinking about boundaries in terms of promptness, I don't think about boundaries when I'm like, well, before we go to the theater, I have to like put my makeup on and I got to change and I got to do my hair and then I got to change again because I don't like my outfit. Um, I'm thinking all of a sudden I'm realizing boundaries are saying, um, oh my God, I would love to talk to you about your problem. I have 20 minutes before I have to go, but I want to be there for you, mm-hmm. right? And just to say, you know, and then and then if that moment comes up where you have to extend that conversation to make you late for a partner, then that's a choice you can make there. But I've been kind of learning how to do that in my life too, about how to, how to prioritize what needs to, what you want to prioritize consciously. Cause I think some people mm-hmm. pleasers or givers can like overstep that. And then also little things like, um, I know that I can take 45 minutes on my makeup if I want to. And is that a priority over showing my partner that I see that it's important to them that I am on time? Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah. Um, uh, I don't want that to take away from the important point that you added to the conversation, which is that just like everything else in the universe, we all process things and comprehend things and value things differently. Mm-hmm. So, um, like take all that with everything Sam just said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's real. And I think, um, I think in situations like this, when what my partner is doing is telling me something that my partner doesn't know that it's telling me, mm-hmm. um, I think it's like a two, a two pronged approach, which is one, how can I tell my partner what, what they're doing is saying to me so that they know. Right. Mm-hmm. And it looks, sounds like you are doing that. Um, mm-hmm. in one which way is, or another, right. Yeah. Which is great. Right. And then the other thing is how do I tell myself that what I'm telling myself isn't actually what's happening? Right. Totally. So it's like when Peter leaves his socks on the floor, what I tell myself <laughs> is Peter di- is like disrespecting our house or like Peter expects me to pick up after him. So like, I will tell him that. And also I will tell myself that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that he wants to take his socks off right now and he doesn't want to go all the way to the bedroom yeah. to put them in the yeah. hamper, right? Like, yeah. like sometimes when we have these types of symbolic conflict that are not actually about the thing, but about the symbolism behind the thing, it's really important for us to be naming what is being symbolized. I'm because otherwise <laughs> it just becomes like, why are you so mad at me when I'm late? Like, I'm just a late person. Like, I don't yeah. get it. And it has yeah. to be... I'm frustrated with you because your lateness is telling me that you don't want to spend time with me or that you aren't respectful of my time in the places that I need to be, or you're not prioritizing me, right? Like we need to be explicit and clear about those things because otherwise we're going to get fixated on the socks and not what the socks are actually saying. Totally. I was, you're just, you're going to love this. I was, um, it's like the two times out of the year that I prep for these episodes. Um, but this was an accidental prep. Um, I was listening to a podcast called fun therapy. Oh, fun. (laughs) I know. Um, that was his name, Mike Foster. And I'm just sort of getting into it because I'm trying to, I'm realizing that I want to be listening to more wellness things so that you and I are constantly introducing new things to our program, diversifying our language, whatever. And plus, I'm a human, and I want to learn how to handle conflict without turning into a turtle. So um, the podcast today said something. Um, it was about conflict and di- different conflict styles. And he said that oftentimes when we are upset with our partners, it is not a reflection of their flaws 
but a reflection of our needs. So mm. it is not Peter, it's not a flaw in Peter that he leaves his socks out. It is a reflection that you want to keep the, of your boundaries, of your needs, that you want to keep a different, um, that you have a different um, approach to life, a, a different lifestyle, living cleanliness, different orderliness. And yeah, thanks, Mom, first. for for my <laughs> weird thing about keeping the house clean all the time. Um, and She's not listening, but I'll tell her tomorrow. <laughs> and thinking about the the tardiness thing, like, um, and I and I I wrote this down in context of this letter because because the sensitive little turtle in me didn't want when our letter writer does approach their partner, I didn't want the partner to feel like oh my God, you're exposing a flaw. It's not about that. It's just the way that you live your life. It's, it's not about shame. It's not about wrongness. It, it's just about people moving through the world in a different way. And I thought that that quote like helped us, could help the letter writer too be like, this is not something wrong with you. This is just something that I want from you. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it's not a, it's kind of goes into the Brene Brown shame versus um, guilt, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it's don't feel, don't feel ashamed of this. I'm just telling you who I am. I'm showing you what my needs are and my needs can be permeable, flexible, like my boundaries, but I want to establish them a little bit more clearly because it's starting to hurt my feelings. It's starting mm-hmm. to make me feel unprioritized, things like that. Yeah, I love that. I would also just say, um, chronically punctual. <laughs> late person for way longer than they've been in relationship with you. And so a little bit of patience and understand that it might take a few times repeating when you are late, it makes me feel under like that you don't value me or you don't value my time mm-hmm. or you're not prioritizing me before it's really going to sink in. Mm-hmm. And I, and I know that this is, um, this is really frustrating for you in this moment, but have faith. And I would say, trust your partner that they are, they have the ability to hear you, that they are thinking about it, that they are hopefully going to work at it at some point, but know that that big changes like this take time, right? When your yeah, worldview so is, I'm always late or your worldview is I always take my socks off and throw them on the ground. And then suddenly you have to change that, right? You have to, you are, want to be in a relationship with the person and you, there's something fundamental about the way that you understand the world that you need to start adapting to. It's going to take a little bit of time. It's going to take a change of habits. It's going to have to be like, oh shoot, I'm late. Let me remember what this means for my partner. And, and so grace, I think is important in this moment. I would say that lateness it's not for me a deal breaker, but it could yeah. be for you. So like, let's be, let's be real about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do think that it's continue to have these conversations, continue to be frank about it. And also know that your partner is trying, right? Your partner is listening and trying to hear you, right? And just give them some grace to figure out how to, what that means for them and how they can show up for you differently. Yeah. And how you can show up for them and meet them where they're at, where their lifestyle is. Um, Mm -hmm. Because just like Peter Sachs, I know I do things that Willow has adjusted her life to that she probably wouldn't want to, but she's choosing to, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Whenever I cook, I leave all of the kitchen cabinets open and then Peter has to close them all. I don't know why. Freak, freak. (laughs) I don't know why. And like, he's like, he hasn't been living with me for a few weeks because uh, he's in Wausau, but 
And so every time I walk in the kitchen, I'm like, oh my God, all of the cabinet doors are open. I would be like, oh my God, my kitchen is haunted. Does it ever scare you? Does it, is it ever like pull the guys? No. Oh, no, okay. No. I'm always like, oh yeah, I just don't close any yeah. kitchen cabinets ever. Yeah. Um, okay, chronically punctual. I hope that at least gives you um, some ground to stand on. Uh, you definitely, you. I think you should talk to your partner about this, but you, t- you two should approach it not as though you're exchanging blows. Like you did this, no, mm. you do this, mm-hmm. but you're on the same team. You're wearing the same uniform. You are gonna problem solve this together and meet in the middle somewhere. And remember that, like Sam said, she's going to be late sometimes and, and you're going to, and you're going to be waiting sometimes, but sometimes she'll be on time too. Hopefully. Really smooth and to a. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes she'll be on time. Trail off, trail off. off. (laughs) All right. Chronically punctual. Thank you so much for writing. We love you. So much. Y'all, as a self-employed person, as a mom of a toddler, I am always struggling with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now I use Rocket Money and it does all of that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, you have full control over your subscriptions and a clear view of your expenses. You can see all your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, Rocket Money can help cancel it with a few taps. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month so I can clearly see my spending habits and check myself if needed. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even help try to negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you, which I obviously love as a somewhat introverted, conflict-avoidant person. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Rocket Money has over 5 million subscribers and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash just break up. That's rocketmoney.com slash just break up. Rocketmoney.com slash just break up. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets, sweaters, and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. Quince has things like premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. This past month, I treated myself to a pair of new slippers because I'm in that hashtag mom life era of my life um, in which... (laughs) 
Um, I am never not in slippers, and these are 100% Australian shearling lined clog slippers, and I love that they're slip on, but they have those durable rubber outsoles. They're super cushy, super comfortable, but I feel like I can run outside to like take the trash out in them while also like staying warm and active in the house. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right. Our second letter is from Mayonnaise, Johnson and Johnson. No, just Johnson Johnson, not Johnson. I just put that in there, my bad. Yeah, no, I read this, the name of this, and I was like, I have no context clues for what this means. No, 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 me neither. And I love that they end the letter, sincerely, Mayonnaise. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Mayonnaise, Johnson Johnson, who is writing to us from quarantine. Dear Sam and Sierra, I have been with my wonderful boyfriend for two and a half years. It is my first relationship following a life previously unconcerned with romance, and I find myself clumsy and fumble-footed and ever grateful for my patient boyfriend, who has been by my side as I stumble my way through figuring out boundaries, feeling empowered to express when I feel hurt, and learning to let go of the little things. He is supremely kind, and I love him dearly. Mm. I live at home because dorms are hella expensive and I'm lucky enough to not only have a kind of and kind and supportive family, but one that I can endure spending long amounts, amounts of time with something that has been truly tested in quarantine. My mother falls into the group of high risk individuals. She is over 65 and immunocompromised. So I've been following all the guidelines to the letter. Now, the main issue, my boyfriend is not currently social distancing in his work and personal life and still interacts with large numbers of people, which I am fine with. Unfortunately, that means I do not feel comfortable having him in my house. I told him that I would love to still meet up as long as as it was outside and we stayed six feet apart and we wore masks, which has drastically changed how we can hang out. My boyfriend started out completely um, in support, although he expressed understandable disappointment. But over time, his visits started dwindling in both time and frequency. He began voicing more often how he wishes he could come just go inside my house or how he misses watching movies and cuddling. Each time I would tell him I miss those things too. And I would ask if he blamed me for the fact that we can't hang out the way we used to. And he said no, and that he understood and the situation just sucked. And I would agree, honestly, almost everything about 2020 has sucked. Preach. It It was hard not to notice the pattern of him visiting left. And in my head, the thought became he's visiting less because you are not worth the trouble of visiting. You are not loved. It was too persuasive a thought for me to argue around. So I enlisted his help. I told him the anxiety I was struggling with and asked for his real reasoning so I could replace it. He assured me that it wasn't a matter of worth at all and that he still loved me. However, when pressed on why he didn't visit, he admitted that he was frustrated with my rules, that they were especially the six foot rules, um, stupid and pointless to him because the difference between the risk of transmission from say six feet to three feet is negligible. And that he blames me just a little bit in his heart, not his head, for enforcing such a cumbersome, pointless hassle on him. One that makes our interactions unable to have the illusion of normalcy and has instead made them constantly stressful. 
I admit it's probably a very small difference, but I cling to it because it's still what's being recommended. I know that this is mostly has to do with my anxiety around my mother's health, health than the reality of the disease transmission. However, for me, it is not something I'm willing to, to risk, no matter how small the differences may be. So I asked if it would be helpful to think of it more as a favor he's doing me for my sake, even if it's pointless. He said, no, not really. The six feet thing does, does not bother me as much as it does him. It is a it is annoying, but because it's my boundary, it does not hurt my feelings. I know that I would feel differently if, like him, it was instead being forced upon me. I have a hunch. I had a hunch, so I asked if it was possible that the reason this six-foot thing bothered him so much is that, yes, it seemed pointless and cumbersome, but also that I had all the boundaries right now and that I have all the control, so he needed to have one boundary, one thing he wouldn't compromise on. And he said, yes, exactly. I asked him if by recognizing that root feeling, he could detach from the six feet rule, which I am unwilling to compromise on. And if we could create a new rule for me to follow, a new boundary for him so he has control, but he said he could, um, it couldn't. I do not know if this is relevant to put in here or if it's just petty, but I will include it just in case. Last summer, in order to follow his dream, we were long distance for six months. During this time, he was in the wilderness and I was never sure if I would be able to uh, call or reply to text. There were days that he could receive my messages but could not send messages. Also, side note, whenever you mention letters from the void, I think of this time because I felt like I was speaking into the void each day. <laughs> oh God, that's so sad. <laughs> I mentioned, I've been there though. I mentioned this to say that I truly understand how he's feeling. I felt the same frustration and resentment and I only got through it by reminding myself, quote, this isn't something that has uh, that was just done to you. You agreed to remain in this relationship, which means you agreed to be long distance. This was your choice too. Very mature. Mm -hmm. um, so I told him that he does not get to choose my boundaries, but he can choose whether or not to engage with them. And he has the choice of whether or not to visit me. And now we're exploring going completely virtual long distance with our relationship. Admittedly, I loathe um, I am loathing the idea of returning to long distance. I hated it, but I think it is important that he remains, um, he regains his feelings of control in this situation. My question is this, I understand his need for boundaries and that this has become tied up with self-respect, which is something I would never ask him to give up. However, I am not sure in this instance, if it is self-respect or ego that has made this the hill he is willing to die on. I'm not sure if I identify the difference, which is why I feel I need to turn um, to your help, Sam and Sierra. Is this being human and having boundaries and limitations, or is this throwing a temper tantrum? With the former, I would gladly go long distance again, but with the latter, I think I will lose so much respect for him if I don't, um, I don't know if I could withstand the weight of the long distance again. My second question is, am I being too stubborn with my own boundaries? I understand relationships are about compromise, and it shocks me how unwilling I am to bend on this. Is, uh, it is possible family is a blind spot for me, and that, um, and that being so pedantic about the six-foot six rule is, in fact, stupid. Please tell me if it is. And finally, is there another solution I'm missing? Am I being too black and white? Thank you for reading my letter. Um, I found you through Instagram when you were on your early stages, even before Patreon. Thank you for that post. As I mentioned, I had a little exploration into the romantic realm and had, had yet found myself in a relationship. 
You were a resource for me in navigating the incredibly rewarding, but mostly confusing experience of loving another human being. Thank you for your time, energy, and your work. Sincerely, Mayonnaise. So cute, (laughs) Mayonnaise. (laughs) Okay, long letter, all important context, and beautifully Mm -hmm. written. My All of your excellently used commas. Oh, yes. I was reading through it and I was like, wow, she really put all the commas exactly where we needed to be able to read this in a way that doesn't make us sound stupid. (laughs) All of your um, English uh, professors are very happy with you right now. Absolutely. Um, Okay. So going back to that quote that I shared preemptively in the first letter about how boundaries can be, should be firm um, so that you're comfortable and safe, yet permeable enough that you allow love and intimacy to flow between you and another person. Yeah, that's a beautiful sentiment, not in a pandemic. Um, yeah, you don't want boundaries to be permeable at all in 2020, right? Yeah, like you don't I want any coronavirus going through I, that. I wrote down the quote and then I wrote, but COVID? Question mark? <laughs> like COVID fucks with everything when it comes to our boundaries and our sense of personal safety and our sense of sacrifice, what we're willing to risk for our loved ones. And it, and it has, it has messed with my head too, mayonnaise. Like I, I want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing for my loved ones. And I also miss them deeply and want Mm -hmm. to connect with them and, and want to connect with other human beings. Um, and for me, who is a chronic um, overshare, overstepper, like overgiver, unnecessarily so, um, it's been really hard to parse out what were my real bound, like what are my boundaries, what are my firm things, and what do I feel like? What am I afraid that I'm going to give up if somebody asks me? So I just want to like vocalize what a challenging time it is to be a human to be a human in relationship with another person or even just to have like other humans around mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and to say, um, I, I think that I speak for both of us when I say we're very proud, um, of your clear articulation of your boundaries to your partner and to yourself and your mental exploration of what does it mean to, uh, Basically, you're doing really great head and heart work looking at these boundaries and making sure this is an authentic representation of who you are and what you want to be doing in the world. So we just want to give you like a gold star, Mm -hmm. A plus, you know, um, and you're asking all the right questions. For sure. And you are engaging in some, but you're engaging in some like really difficult conversations with your partner right now, um, which is even harder right now, just because everyone is so uh, spread thin. But the fact that you are sort of asking questions about um, about the stories that you are telling each other, or, well, the stories that yes. you're telling yourselves, mm-hmm. right? Um, and asking questions about like, is this about this or is this about this? Like that, that is going to serve you in the long-term in totally. relationships because that those are the types of conversations that actually get at the root of the problem and not just focus on what the symptoms of the problem might be. Um, but it is hard. <laughs> it is really hard yeah. in this situation. Um, I really, I honestly, like part of me, the, the quick, quicker, like more judgmental part of me wants to like shit on your boyfriend about like being like a whiny little punk, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't believe that. I'm just like being hyperbolic. Um, yeah. But I, I, 
but I don't feel that way truly at all because it's such a challenging time. And because we all have different levels of comfortability, different boundaries, different um, fears, different mitigating factors that make these fears bigger or smaller. And so like, I'm not even mad at your boyfriend for being frustrated because it's really hard to navigate this. And we just never experienced anything like this. And yep. it's really hard to not take other people's boundaries during a pandemic personally, even though they're not, they're just not personal. I'm just like vocalizing the fact that like, even the most enlightened people are going to be like, is this, is this about me? No, this is not about me. You know, like the ego is always going to speak up. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think that these types of boundaries are especially difficult when someone establishes them for you, because it then it becomes, it feels like a judgment. Like it feels yeah. like, um, like somehow I am not doing the right thing or somehow I am putting other people in danger or like the way that I'm living my lifestyle is somehow, um, unsafe, hurting, hurting right? my partner too, you know, for sure. Um, and I think, so I, I empathize with your partner. Like I can totally understand why, why his reaction would be like this. Um, but I think what's really hard in this situation is, is for me, and at least the way that you two are talking about it is that he's then putting, he is putting his disappointment about this virus and quarantine mm. onto you as if you are the one that is That's enforcing it. rules around not seeing people. Right. And and that's not the truth, right? Like you didn't bring this virus on. You didn't, you didn't make up the rules that we're supposed to be following, right? Like yeah. you didn't choose to have a mother who's, who is 65 and immunocompromised, right? Like those things are all outside of your control. And it feels to me that the way that he's approaching this conversation is that he's focusing on what you have control over, which is you establishing like, no, we're going to follow the rules as yeah. opposed to when what he's really angry at is the fact that this virus is a fucking buzzkill and buzz means that kill. all of us don't get to do the shit we want to do. And, and it feels like there's no, there's no reward, right? Like following mm -hmm. these rules doesn't do anything except mitigate risk. No reward. Nobody, <laughs> right? nobody from the CDC comes to my house no. and brings me candy when right? I like stay six feet away from all of my loved ones. <laughs> For sure. And the only thing that, right, the only thing that we're hearing right now is that if you don't follow the rules, you're a horrible person, oh which is like, there is such, there's such a real thing, a coronavirus guilt. You know? Yeah, for sure. And I'm not saying, I am not saying that we should like not, not try and rules, encourage yeah. people to follow the rules. Right. But I am saying that even for me, who's like, doing stuff. And like you too, who's trying our best. It feels like every time I go to the grocery store, I feel shame about being at the grocery store mm -hmm. as if like, I am somehow putting other people in danger, which I am right. Like that's, what's so awful about yeah, this that, is like, I need to go mustache. to the grocery store, right? I need to go to the grocery store, but also me being at the grocery store puts that clerk at risk, right? Like, and yeah. there's no way to mitigate that. And it's so like this constant feeling of like shame and panic and fear is mm -hmm. really real. And it's, it's affecting your, your boyfriend for sure. And it's also affecting you too, right? Like this fear of like, am I doing the right thing? Like, these are the recommendations. Am I overreacting? Who knows? There's, there's no rules. Like, I wish that someone would come and tell me like, this is what's going to happen, but that's not the case. So just want to say like, this is such a hard thing to be in, but it's, it's not your time. fault that we're in it. Right. Like, and I, and I don't like yeah, the way that it seems fault. like your boyfriend is trying to blame you for 
following the rules in a pandemic mm-hmm. when really the pandemic and the rules aren't your choice. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, and I think like something, another thing that I like pulled out of that, uh, fun therapy podcast that I listened to today, mm-hmm. um, such a funny description because it doesn't sound like the title <laughs> it's called fun therapy, um, was about, um, how like 99% of conflict comes from the idea that we're assuming that we're communicating mm-hmm. when in reality, most times if we don't hear what someone is saying to us, we, we imagine what, what we think that they meant. Um, mm-hmm. and in this instance, um, I think the, that your boyfriend's lack of control is making him hear everything you're saying as um, an enforcement of inc- control on him or a disempowering thing, right? Mm. He's, he's, there, there's something, there's a translation happening here that's making it, making it hard for him to say, for him to say, this really sucks. I'm so glad we're in it together. I'm so sorry you have to quarantine because of your mother. Is there anything I can do? You know, there's there's something in there. Yeah, that would be the right way to handle it on his part for sure. <laughs> um, there's something in our egos or whatever. Like I think you're right. I to your point about um, if it's self-respect versus ego, I do I just think our brains are too complicated to not make it all about us and what we want. <laughs> mm-hmm, for sure. Even when we try. And I think he's he's hearing you saying, I'm not gonna budge on these. Um, and instead of hearing you say, I'm just doing what CDC is telling me to, I, I didn't ask for this. He's hearing, you don't get, I don't get what I want. She's you're, I'm intentionally not giving you what you want or, or like, mm, I'm not being flexible. That's real. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's, that's where I feel like maybe we can turn the, turn the tables a little bit and start holding your partner accountable for the fact that none, like you said, Sam, none of this is your fault. And that if the shitty thing about these CDC guidelines is that it's sort of like, you know, um, I don't know in what context this phrase was made up, but like you're only as fast as your slowest Mm -hmm. teammate or something like that or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's an origin for that that has to do with war and murder or something. Oh, I'm sure it does. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, in like taking that kind of idea in the guidelines, the, the best way to do it is the person with the strictest guidelines is king or queen or non-binary royalty. Royalty. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, um, the sovereign, if you will. Right. Right. It's it's not the it's not the person with the loosest boundaries who gets to establish the, the rules. It's yes. unfortunate. Yep. And 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 that is unfair. I want to just say that, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing fair about this whole experience. There's nothing about this that is going to make sense and feel just and feel fun. Right. Welcome to life, people. Right. <laughs> But the best thing we can do is draw a universal line that covers everyone, right? Like if your boundaries are here and your boundaries are here and your boundaries are here and your boundaries are here, we got to draw a line up so that all of the boundaries are covered. And unfortunately that means the strictest. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is just the, but also like not (laughs) the hard pill that he has to swallow. Go ahead. No, absolutely. But like also not, unfortunately, right? Like that's good because yeah. the strictest, the, as strict as we can be about these rules 
means that there's less chance of people dying. Mm-hmm. So like, so I'm, I'm saying like, yes, that's exciting. And also unfortunate because it does mean that yeah. then like we don't get yeah. to see people that we love, which is yeah. absolutely legitimate, but I think them, it's right. Right. But I think it's important to like, in these moments of frustration where we're like, God, I just wish I could get on a fucking airplane and like go someplace. Right. Remembering that like, yes, I wish I could do that. And also my choice to not buy that plane ticket means that I am mitigating risk for other people from dying from this. Right. Mm -hmm. And that sucks, but at least it's like a silver lining to the fact that we can't do any of this stuff. Is that like every, every decision that we make that is putting distance between ourselves and others is a decision that saves people's lives. And I think it's important for us to remember that even when it means that I can't see my friends in my house, like they can't come over and watch TV with me. We have to be outside and we have to be masked and we have to be six feet apart, right? And that sucks. But it does mean that that person's not going to give it to their mom who's sick. That means that that person is not going to give it to the grocery store worker who is immunocompromised, right? And that it's important to remember that and also recognize that it just really sucks. Yeah. I I think that I'd like to steer this letter to, before we close out to, so how does, um, now that we've made it clear to Manes that we like, we support her boundaries, we empathize with both people in this relationship, but believe she's making the hard and necessary decision to, I don't know, sleep well at night. <laughs> um, but I want to steer it to, because I know this is something happening across the world. How do you, like, how do you, how does Manny's now not make this um, the downfall of their relationship? Like, how do they move forward? I, I feel like when it wants to, COVID can permeate every part of our lives, right? Mm-hmm. Because, because of all these necessary um, choices that we have to make. Um, I believe because of their communicative abilities, Manny's, I believe you guys can make it through this. Um, I don't think your boyfriend is being a terrible person. I don't think you're being a terrible person. I think that you're just in a really tough, necessary situation. So now that you've decided to withhold or hold these boundaries up to potentially go long distance or, or he can um, just deal with it and enjoy the time that he gets with you. I don't mm-hmm. mean that in such a shitty way, but you know, like you, can, you can, you can either see her or you can't like right. the, the, you, you, your choice. Um, or at least that ball is in your park, your park <laughs> court. <laughs> Sports. Um, so, but so, so how about they, they, they move forward and they both, you know, maybe Manny takes some words from this podcast and says, we're not, we didn't choose this. It sucks. Blah, blah, blah. blah and they get on the same page again. How do they make their relationship, if not thrive, survive the coronavirus? Mm-hmm. I think I'm looking at you, buddy. <laughs> no, I think, um, I think that going long distance, right? I think that there are multiple different situations in which, and you had a great example of it, in which relationships, the the circumstances of relationships suddenly change and folks have to be in relationship differently than they want to be, right? But in the same way that suddenly your boyfriend going to, um, you know, going out of state for six months, you were able to figure out how to communicate and you were able to figure out how to like hunker down and make it through that six months. Totally. In a way that, um, that was not great for you. 
but in a way that at least preserved the relationship long enough that you could come back together. And I think that's exactly the type of thing that you are you need to do in this situation as well. What I think is interesting in this is that you were the one that had to figure out how to like make the best of a shitty situation. And now your boyfriend is going to have to be the one to make the best of the shitty situation. And so like, how do you, it's going to be important for you to like, I think help him in, in knowing what that feels like and knowing like, yeah, I remember not in like a tit for tat way, but in a way of like, yeah, this is hard. Like, I wish that I could see you like, but we've been here before we've done this before we can make it through again. Right. Like, we have been separated. We haven't been able to talk. Um, and and I think that you can do that. I think it, honestly, I think it's bullshit that you're contemplating going full long distance when you live in the same town and you could see each other six feet apart, like in outside. <sighs> but this is your relationship. So you can make that choice for yourself. <laughs> I don't I don't think it's bullshit because I think that it maybe sets that universal line, you know, mm-hmm. like, okay, this is, you know, whatever. And also maybe it's just easier for him to not see her in person because like she's so gorgeous and he just wants to kiss her. And um, I, I mean, that sounds right. Her name is Mayonnaise. So like, how do you resist? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, I think that Mayonnaise, I think you can do this and mm-hmm. I think he can do this too. Um, and, and both of you are going to have to like look at each other six feet apart you know, mimic holding hands and saying like, this sucks. We're in this together. Yep. This sucks. And it's not going to be like this forever. And we've been here before and we can make our way out. We mm-hmm. can do this. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So maybe give yourself a little grace, give give him a little bit of grace and remember that this is unprecedented times. And yes. Blah, oh my blah, God, blah, thank blah, you. Blah. My email from Nike. I appreciate you calling that out. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, good luck. We love you. Stay safe. You're making smart and thoughtful choices. Absolutely. And thank you for writing. We love you. All right. Our third and final letter comes from DC who is writing from California. DC writes, hi, Sam and Sierra. Thank you for this podcast and everything you do to help us head and heart workers. I've been your podcast or binged your podcast for the last week or two as I work my 10 plus hour shifts every day. You have me laughing, crying and contemplating my own life romantic situation and well-being every day. I can honestly say this podcast has helped me in a deeply profound way. So to my problem that I thought I could be brief, but I suck at that. So I'm sorry. It's a long story. Uh, so the woman that I'm dating is a 20-year-old uh, queer Latinx cisgender woman, she, her, and I am a 23-year-old black queer trans man. We have been together for about a year and a half now. We are in a monogamous relationship that has been anything but steady. I will try to summarize this as much as I can while still giving you background. For the month of knowing each other and the first month of being together, things were ideal. It was happy, chill, and very physical. Around the second month of our relationship, things started to change drastically. Anytime I planned to leave for work or go hang out with my friends, she would have a panic attack and completely shut down. Trying to be the best partner I could be, I would call off work or cancel plans with my friends and spend the night calming her down and trying to make her happy. Over the next four months, it slowly be came out that she suffered from a lot of trauma when she was younger that has carried over into adulthood and as she is working on therapy and taking medication for it. I tried to be extra sensitive to this as I have my own diagnosed mental illness and understand how hard it can be. 
Around six months into our relationship, we moved in together. Things were up and down, but when things were good, they were the best feeling I had ever experienced with someone. Yes, I am rolling my eyes at that statement. (laughs) Anyway, around that time with spending the most time with her I had, I noticed that she had stopped taking her medication and going to therapy and that her negative reactions to me leaving or having an outside life increased. She started telling me I couldn't talk to my friends about our relationship anymore and snapping at me anytime I disagreed with her or had to do something without her. I let her effectively isolate me from anything outside of our relationship. Throughout this time, I had multiple conversations with her about how she was treating me, what I could do to help her feel better, and what changed from the early parts of our relationship till now. Her only explanation was that she didn't love me as much as she did now and that she was scared of losing me. Despite our many conversations, her behavior did not change. Soon I found myself adopting this behavior with her as well. Breaking down when she needed to leave, snapping when I was expecting something of her that wasn't fulfilled or other toxic behavior. Around the nine-month mark, I broke up with her. We, we were in the middle of a fight and she kept telling me that I should break up with her and that I should just do it already. So I did. But not a week later, we were back to talking as she explained that she wasn't taking her meds to help that help her function and that she would start doing that and going to therapy again. By the end of the month, we were back together, although not living together, just in time to celebrate a nice Christmas as a couple and be merry and happy. It felt like the beginning of our relationship again, chill, happy, and extremely physical. Around 10 months, we had a conversation about whiteness. With her being POC, a poli-sci and sociology major with deep interests in public policy, immigration, and helping marginalized communities, and me being a bioengineer that grew up in a predominantly white suburb, we had different ideas of whiteness and the feelings it provoked. She couldn't get over the fact that I had white friends and that I didn't find whiteness disgusting and said she couldn't be with someone that didn't believe the same. So I grabbed my stuff and left, only to be bombarded with about 50 texts from her profusely apologizing that night and questioning why I left and that she hadn't really broken up with me. Again, with the same process, we were talking by the end of the week and together by the end of the month, just in time to celebrate our anniversary where I gave her a promise ring. Another two months go by at... At first, which at first started to dwindle once again on relationship check-ins. I started becoming her emotional verbal punching bag anytime she was stressed about school or work and couldn't do anything to please her. Around the same time, I became extremely depressed while sharing my feelings about this with her. Sorry, Spencer. While sharing my feelings with her about all this, she started becoming emotionally disconnected and distanced and started to, we started to take or asking for a break again. I didn't argue and allowed her to set the terms of the break, which was no contact for a week. The next day, she continuously texted me apologizing, saying that she was just overwhelmed and couldn't handle me relying on her emotionally like that and that she wanted to talk. I told her no and that I needed the time we established for the break to see if this was a sustainable relationship and that she should do the same. Still, she continued to text me throughout the week, begging me to talk to her and give her an answer. So a few days before the end of the break, I finally gave in and went to see her. I tried to talk to her about what she was feeling, how she felt our relationship was going, and if she thought we were in a healthy relationship, but she didn't say a word. I ended up breaking up with her and she ran off crying. That night, she texted me 30 times and called 10, asking why I would leave her like that, why I would make her love me just to break her heart, how I could leave her when she was having such a hard time emotionally, how she thought I loved her, but apparently I didn't, and so on. A week goes by of calm talking and sorting out business, then a month of talking about our relationship, future, hopes, and cuddling and other physical stuff, only to come to the present. We technically aren't back together, but we talk and act that way. We establish that we are exclusive and that we still love each other and want to make the relationship work. However, I am starting to see the 
past and new toxic behavior creeping back into the mix, which she consistently has blamed her relationship with her parents and need for validation on. Through all this mess, I know I love her, but I don't think we can be together. Hmm. Even more, do you believe that a person can love someone when the relationship is toxic, but not when it is stable? I also find myself just not being as excited and happy as I used to be when the relationship had its ups and downs. Am I crazy for liking that relationship instability more than its actual stability? (laughs) I have a lot of questions to ask. I really wish I had found this podcast sooner and given myself more time to learn before getting in this relationship. But my main questions are, do you believe there's a way to repair a toxic relationship? If so, how? Is this relationship salvageable? Or should I just be the douche canoe, DC, hence the name, that breaks up with the girl for the third time, even though all things considered, the relationship is getting better? How do you break up with someone and not get back together with them? Great question. (laughs) I hope that this wasn't too much to read and (laughs) and that answering these questions can be of help to more than just me. Even if you don't answer it, it has helped me to get all of this down. Again, I think... both of y'all for the emotional labor you put into answering your listeners' letters and hope and find some clarity in our hardships. Oh, DC, thank you so much for writing. Thank you so much. This is a pickle. Um, (laughs) Pickle. A bit of a pickle. I would Uh, say a big pickle. That's right. I was like, not even a bit, a big, just a big pickle. Yeah. Like a, like a big one that you get from like Jimmy John's where it's like the whole cucumber. So good. I love pickles. They're so good. (laughs) I love pickles. Okay. (laughs) Anyway. The things we choose to go, like the things that we go off on our tangents, they just don't make any sense. Um, No, they don't. Okay. Anyway, DC, uh, there's, I I need to like have a little meeting with you, Sam, one-on-one privately Mm -hmm. right now on Cool. When we have like 300 people watching this <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Great. Yeah. Um, what do you want to tackle in this letter? Because there's so many good questions, like not just mm. what's happening in DC's relationship, but what DC writes. Those questions are so good. Um, I, we have yeah. to answer, how do you break up with someone and not keep it together? Yeah, right. um, I want to talk about um, sort of like be not liking your relationship as much when it's stable than, than you know, highs and lows. Um, I would also personally like to dive into maybe a little bit of his partner's experiences um, about the acting out that the, the the acting out and taking things out on our partners. I just want to like tackle that for like one minute. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else? <laughs> uh, no, I just, I, yeah, I would want to talk a little bit about sort of toxic relationships and, yes. and what they feel like to be in them. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, so let's talk about that too. Okay. Well then maybe let me, I'm going to, thank you. Thank you for giving us that time. Wonderful listeners. Yeah. We're Um, professionals. We prep before these episodes. Um, but so I want to talk about, uh, let's, um, DC, I'm going to pause on you for a moment. Um, Mm -hmm. and I want to talk about your partner and I want to talk about ways in which we can be better partners in general. And when we say head and hard work, we don't, we don't just mean, let me self-reflect on how I um, can be treated better, how boundaries I can have to make to to benefit me and my healing and things like that. We also, when we say head and heart work, we mean looking at your own behavior, holding yourself accountable 
to the healing um, and the love that you want to give and receive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, so I'm, I'm super happy to have this small little tangent in this letter. Um, a couple weeks ago, I suggested the book Attached as a Blind Date. Mm-hmm. And then the following, or like that week, Spencer and I did a Patreon episode in which we gave um, Spencer, our producer, the quiz on what type of attachment style he had. And one of the questions in the quiz attack, uh, connected to the book is, do you act, do you feel the need to act out um, in your mm-hmm. relationship? Mm-hmm. And I remember because when I, I gave Willow the quiz and I also, and I gave it to Spencer and both of them were like, what does that mean? And originally, and on the Patreon episode, I said, well, I think like cheating or something. And then I, a couple days later, I caught myself acting out in my relationship <laughs> and I was like, oh, you, oh, this is what this is. Yeah. Idiot. This is what this is. So uh-huh. I just want to like take a moment to express some transparency and growth. To me, acting out in your relationship is when you, um, like DC illustrates in this, you take things out on your partner, um, little things like, um, for example, I, uh, talking about CDC regulations, um, Willow was hanging out with her friends the other day and Mm -hmm. I was feeling, I don't know whether it was insecure or PMS or something was going on where like, I wasn't just like, cool, honey like be safe. Cause I, I trust her and, and we're, we're following the same boundaries, social distancing, being outside, things like that. Um, and, but because I was feeling insecure because I was feeling lonely and maybe sensitive about her being with other people and not me. Right. Or like mm-hmm. whatever my that ancient attachment style coming out. <laughs> of course, Because if she's not around me all the time, she's obviously going to stop loving me, you know, totally irrational. I know that, but I I felt that like, and that's something I combat all the time because I don't want to be, I want, I want to have a healthy relationship. I want to have, I want my soon to be spouse to be able to like have a life outside of me. That is something I want and want to cultivate. But I remember being like, just not knowing why I felt like spiky, right? Like I felt like, Oh, you know, I just felt like, uh, and I didn't know where it was coming from. And I didn't, I didn't even articulate it to myself. So when she comes home, I'm like, oh, and did you stay six feet apart? And did you do this? And did you do this? And I was like getting into her about it when like, I trust, I trust her. And I know that she's following guidelines that I'm following. And I, and it, and it threw her off so much because she's like, where is this coming from? And <laughs> yeah. I was like, and honestly, Sam, I like laid there for like five seconds and I was like, oh, I overreacted. <laughs> I, I like, I sat and I thought, why am I acting like this? And I realized I was acting out because I wanted mm-hmm. her, I wanted her to say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I love you. Or, or I wanted her to, I wanted her to affirm me in some way or, or whatever it was. And I'm being well, you, very- And you like wanted her not to go, right? Yes, like, yeah, and you yeah. didn't get your way. And so you, yeah. you lashed out by being like, right. well, you probably yeah. got COVID home, and I, right? And like, I'm being very vague because um, I just like don't want my business out there. And so it almost sounds a little bit worse than it actually was. But um, but that's, that, that is the essence of it is that I was feeling insecure. And so I acted out very subtly to a way that I held her accountable for something I didn't authentically feel. And so Mm -hmm. long story short, 
lovely Just Break Up listeners, I have been wanting to say this to you all, is that I caught myself acting out and now I realize what it is. It's those tiny times where you let whatever it is bothering you or, or you let those little voices in your head act out their sick, sadistic fantasies mm-hmm. in tiny little ways. Um, you know, it, it's, and when we say head and heart work, we don't just mean protecting you and your heart and your health and your healing. We mean making you a safer, healthier place for other people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a huge part of that is wrecking, it's calling yourself out on your shit, is knowing when you are acting out. And I look, we, we got through that moment because I stopped and I thought, oh my God, like what am, I felt embarrassed. I was like, I overreacted. I'm sorry. Like it's, there's nothing more mortifying than being like in the moment saying all I wanted to, all my ego wanted me to do was be like, well, you don't care about my family. You don't care about my back and you'd rather be out there, blah, 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 you know, and then slam the door because that makes our egos feel so vindicated mm-hmm. when in reality, I, I became vulnerable and closer and more um, honest and authentic with my partner and more intimate because I said, I'm sorry, I reacted. I, I don't feel that way. And I, I was taking something out on you and I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, for real. And I'm actually sharing that just to like pat myself on the back. Although I was proud of myself and now I'm sort yeah. of like, Oh, those are other little ways that I act out. It's like when I get cranky because I, it's not like that I need a Snickers, you know, it's that something in me is afraid and I'm acting out because I want her love anyway. Mm-hmm. That's real dark evil part of me. Um, but that doesn't come out very often because I'm not like the hot mess that I was when I was younger. So now it comes out. I know, I know. Cheers to all these letter <laughs> to the first letter writer who was like, "Isn't it great that I'm worried about being late and not, you know, right? Being Dr. toxic, Behavior. right? Yeah. yeah." And so, like, this is the tiny shadow of an old self of me that would like that would make it into a fight or would be afraid that she was cheating on me, even though she's way not, you know. Um, so this is all a long-winded, off-topic thing to say that what your partner isn't doing, DC, you <laughs> your mm. partner is not being, is, is not doing that true, hard, laborious, constant head and heart work that is, I'm not going to take my triggers out on my partner. I'm not going to act out when I feel insecure because I know that the, the fastest, healthiest route to dealing with my insecurities is to vocal, to say the name, right? To say, mm-hmm. I'm feeling insecure. I'm feeling anxious right now. I just blew up right there. And it was because I'm feeling like you don't love me and you're going to leave me, right? That is that is the route to intimacy and vulnerability. But we love to take these spirally little like meandering journeys often to like petty bitchy land, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because that feels safer to us than just saying, I'm feeling anxious because you weren't with me, you know, like, or, or doing that labor yourself saying like, I, I, the reason why I really wanted to talk about this, particularly in context of this letter is I see so much hurt going on in DC's partner. And I see, Mm -hmm. I see a long road ahead of her that we have all traveled and continue to travel for the rest of our lives um, of trying to find a way to, uh, listen and honor your feelings while also being accountable to your actions associated with them. And that is so oh, yeah. hard, but this is how we start doing it is recognizing when we are subconsciously acting out for things that we don't 
truly believe. It's about bringing our subconscious and conscious minds together. Um, and that's hard work. Anyway, mm-hmm. transition to DC, no. was that okay? <laughs> yeah, no, that was great. And I think that the thing that you just said about um, accountability is so key here. And part of what I wanted to talk about in terms of toxic relationships is that, um, at least from my experience, one of the things that that leads to toxic relationships sort of becoming increasingly toxic and becoming increasingly hard to get out of is that we are often so willing to practice empathy without practicing accountability, right? And so what we do is instead say our partner, our part, my partner is treating me horribly. My partner is screaming at me. My partner is you know, breaking down and yelling at me whenever I leave the house. But I understand that my partner is hurting, right? I understand that they are going through something that they are, that they have a a mental health issue that they are working through. And, and that's beautiful. Like that, that empathy is, is at the core of relationships, right? Empathy allows us to see another person and, and try and understand what they're going through. It is, it is a great strength. It's a, absolutely, it's a strength. Um, and it's clear to me, DC, that you have it in droves. Like you are yeah. a, a very empathetic person and I love and appreciate that about you. But where toxic relationships often begin and begin to deepen is when we have that empathy and yet we and we use that empathy to rid our partner of any count of accountability over their actions, right? And I And I say that because first of all, it's it's harmful for you and secondly it's harmful for your partner it is not helpful for your partner to look at her and say you are not responsible for any of your actions because you have a mental illness you are not responsible for treating me right because you have had trauma in your life right that isn't helpful like that's not fixing people that is not being supportive that is not actually that's helping not, to them that's not loving a whole person, right? Absolutely. We, we, we assume that that's how we love people. Yes, hundred percent. But that's not what it looks like. Right. And instead what we do in toxic relationships with people, with toxic people who are hurting, which is every toxic relationship to be clear, unless you're dating like a sociopath, in which case like, oh, good luck. But like what we do then is that we just allow the toxicity to flourish and not the relationship, right? We just allow the bad behavior to continue to be central because we don't ever ask for something different. Totally. And I think that that sucks. Like I think that that that's, that is what makes it so hard to get out of toxic relationships because you look at the person, literally, I remember doing this and looking at the person and being like, I can't go out tonight because if I go out tonight, then that, then this person's not going to have anyone to talk to or hang out with. And they're going to feel really bad about themselves. And even though they're being an asshole to me right now, who else is going to love them enough to like, make them feel better. And that isn't, uh, like those feelings are like flooding me right now. Like I'm literally like being triggered by it, but that's, that is how we allow toxic relationships to continue is by mm. just practicing empathy and sympathy and assuming that we are the only person that's ever going to be able to love this person enough to fix them when that's yeah. not how you do it. Yeah. Like that, and- that's not real. That's not love. That's just like pity. Yeah, I'm so, I'm loving this conversation. I'm loving everything you said. I want to add an addendum to something I said too. I said like, that's not love. And I think that's like a little complicated statement because it is, right? We, I want to, I want to adapt that statement to go off of something you said, which is that love is not enough. Like that Mm -hmm. love, 
that love can't get us to where we want to go with these people, right? With these partners um, or with ourselves, right? Love is not enough sometimes. We need mm-hmm. boundaries, which are a manifestation of love, actually. Um, That's right. And <laughs> our know, maturity. <laughs> right. We need um, uh, mental health resources. We need time. We need patience. We need accountability. We, you, you know, you need so much. Oftentimes that what you're talking about, particularly in toxic relationships, that that ever understanding love because someone is hurting is not enough. It will, mm. I, and obviously, DC, you are starved, right? You are confused. You are, um, you you are feeling unsure of your standing in this relationship in love, right? Um, and this is because you've been doing all of this intense, intense emotional labor, um, b- basically keeping things from falling apart having them fall apart and then putting them back together, holding them together, putting, letting them fall apart. You know, like this back and forth is laborious and exhausting. And um, to your point about not wanting to be with somebody or like feeling like the stability is maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit less appealing than the ups and downs, two Mm -hmm. things. One, I think that maybe you have just had an, a, like the life experience you've had over the last year has changed your perspective. So all mm. of a sudden you see that stable and you start seeing the cracks in that stable. You start mm. seeing like, it's funny that you even say that um, I, this somewhat stable, I like, I'm not sure I want it when it's somewhat stable, but you tell us a couple other lines that you're already seeing these red flag behaviors coming back and new ones, you know, um, this stability, this, this quiet period, right. The, the period, uh-huh. you know, it all of a sudden after a year, man, time is the best teacher, right? Like time mm-hmm. and perspective is just the best teacher. And now, you know, you know, DC, that that stable period is just, it's the calm before the storm. So of course, now that stable period is not the honeymoon romantics period that it was maybe around the holidays or your anniversary, mm-hmm. because now you see it as that as instead of like a, oh my God, we finally plateaued. No, no, no. This is, it's an incubator, right? Yeah. Oh my God. That is such a good point. Like the, the idea that the stability, I bet that stability with another person where it's actual stability would actually feel really good. Right. Mm -hmm. But like what right now, what your experience is not stability. It's just a silence about all of the problems that are, that are existing and that you're not talking about. Right. Like, like that is not, that doesn't feel good either. Like that's not, that's yeah. not actual stability. That is just a like a communal decision to not yeah. talk about the bad things that are happening. Yeah. I, and I want to take a moment to um, just to acknowledge like just like a universal acknowledgement of how hard it is to be a human <laughs> and how hard it is to be a human in your early 20s because yeah. you are um, you are newly independent hypothetically right mm-hmm. you are potentially in or out or just out of like an academic structure right or maybe maybe you've been out of school for a while or whatever but like i was just talking about this um with somebody the other day that the 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 pipeline of of going to high school and then sending most uh many students to college right or mm-hmm. into a job right away. 
um, or into the real world even. Let's like not even talk about um, academics, right? Just like sending students, sending young people out into the world to be young adults, right? It is a relic of the time when, you know, you would be 12 years old and go work at a factory or 14 years uh-huh. old and, and all of a sudden you are the head, the, the man of the house, right? And you're uh-huh. running the land or whatever. It's a relic of like, of an older time. But now that we understand like brain development more and, um, and, and now that we have this other weird t- stepping stone society, um, it, it's still very wild to me that we're supposed to decide everything about our future, like in college, we're supposed to know what we want to do. We're supposed to be able to somehow maintain a healthy relationship being given no tools, like yeah, no none guidance. of None of us are born knowing how to be in relationship with other people. And some of us, a very few of us are lucky enough to to witness a healthy relationship within our parents or in our guardians or our family or whatever. But even then, our perspective of that doesn't always translate to taking those tools into our own life. Like we are just so fucking clueless and that's not our fault. And so I just want to say that because I we're we're pointing out some really heavy really real things about this relationship but we've been there right and we've been there and we did the exact same thing because we didn't know better we didn't know how we don't know how to do something better until we do it right mm-hmm. um and so i just want to put like some like empathy love out into the world um that that relationships are so hard and they're and it's hard when you're discovering what does it mean um to to move through the world uh in with another person not just yourself right like fuck (laughs) no for sure and i also think on top of that too uh queer relationships also right like even if you growing up right like if the only example of what you see is a heterosexual relationship those those tools that are in use in heterosexual relationships don't work for queer people right like those those values and those things that we that we look at either don't feel like they apply to us or don't feel like they're going to work for us. And that makes it even more challenging to figure out how to be in relationship with people when we've had absolutely no examples of it from the people around us or from, from the media. And so like, it's just like a double whammy of, of how difficult it is to learn how to be in relationship. And also like, you got like, you just got to learn, right? Like you learn how to be in relationship with people by being in relationship with people and by asking your two queer best friends on a podcast about what you should be doing. (laughs) That's us. Yes. (laughs) But let me tell you what though, you know, who can perpetrate toxic masculinity like no one else? Lesbians. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know who I'm talking about. I do know exactly who you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) We we all can, right? We we can all perpetrate the systems of oppression that oppress us. Toxic behavior, um, abuse exists in queer relationships, and it yes. doesn't matter if both people are of the same gender, if both people are of different genders, it does not matter, right? Like right. abuse and toxicity can exist in any type of relationship. And it's important for us to recognize that because it's important for us as queer people to understand that like we also can be part of this and we also can come up with some of our solution own solutions to it. And what I love about the queer community is that I feel like because we are all the Isle of Misfit, Islands of Misfit Toys, like we all sort of question the the sort of 
heteronormative standards for relationships means that I think that we are even more well-equipped to be able to question some of those toxicities, question some of those those ingrained things and say like, we don't want that anymore. Like we already said no to to heterosexuality. So like, I'm also going to say no to toxicity. <laughs> like, I really love what you're saying <laughs> and disagree with it wholly. <laughs> <laughs> I love what you're saying because I want that. Like I, and I, I hope that for everyone, Mm -hmm. especially young queer folks. Right. Um, I just know my relationship to toxicity has been so arduous and like hard. My independence from toxicity has been so hard earned that I wish I was like, you know what? I'm queer. So I'm just going to be like, fuck you. (laughs) You know, like, um, I, I'm not saying that's the reality. I'm saying aspirationally, like we are as equipped, like we are yes, more equipped yes, because we yes. have the ability to question what other people have taught us about what relationships could look, yeah, should and look like. Yeah. And what they look right? like. Yes, totally. I, I, I love what you said. I just don't, I haven't lived it. How about that? Um, yeah. Well, and I think part of it is because we're taught that like, well, I'm dating a woman. So like a woman can't be talked, like can't have toxic masculinity. And it's like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Or any toxic. It's everywhere. Yeah, totally. It's like every, right. Um, Okay. So DC, obviously you have sparked, um, I I love this conversation. I, it's so good to be reminded, not good. That's the wrong word, but like, it's good to be reminded, um, of, of what these types of relationships look like. Um, I don't know, which is, I'm really enjoying this conversation. It's resetting some stuff in me to, to Mm -hmm. remind myself of like what I don't want to foster, what I, what I want to, what I wish for all of our listeners and for you, DC, um, how do you break up and not get back together? It's, it, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to throw it back and I'm going to say, you need to go no contact mm-hmm. it's, it, and you don't need to do this forever. And you're not, okay. Yeah. So Sam is nodding. His, if you can't see us forever, <laughs> but I, what I'm saying is like, it doesn't have to, you don't have to decide forever right now, right mm-hmm. now you have to decide that I need space from this person because I do not see this love as a, as, as a love that is safe and sustainable for me. So I'm right now, I'm going to decide that I want four weeks, no contact. Right. Um, and I know that seems so harsh to people and I know that's very hard, but you're at, you have, you have already proven to yourself that you cannot be trusted to leave the door open, right? Mm-hmm. You can't like crack the door. For sure. Which also is like why I think- A forever I block. <laughs> a forever block is is more appropriate in, just in this case, right? Like I, your relationship with this person uh, is just really toxic. It like hands down, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna beat around it. Like this is like, there are so many different elements of toxicity in this. And I think you know that, right? Like. This is why you wrote in, like you can identify that, that your partner isn't showing up in the relationship in the way that you want her to. And you are also not showing up in this relationship in the way that you want to, which is really, really challenging. Yeah. And I think that, that toxicity in relationships, this like high of when everything is great, it's the best experience of my life has the same effect on our brains as drugs do, right? Like 100%. Right. And so you... And so I think what you need to do is you need to break this addiction to this person by going cold turkey and saying, 
this is where it ends, right? Like, I'm not going to go back to this person because one time, right? Going back one time is going to set me off, set off my addiction once again, and I'm not going to be able to to do it, right? Like having any contact with this person is going to just bring me down that same road into this toxic relationship that you have now been in, I don't remember, four times, three Mm -hmm. times, Mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah. and so I think, I don't think you need to say, I need to cut this person off forever, but I think you need to go in the same way that you go into addiction by saying day by day, I am not going to contact this person today, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to set that intention to say, I don't need this person in my life. And no, and I know it's really hard because you have, you have developed love. so much empathy and love for this person, but this person can't be in your life anymore. This person is, is harmful to you and you being in this person's life is harmful to them too, right? Like it's a two-way street at this moment, <gasps> right? Like you're not helping. You are not helping this person. <laughs> like, I, I know that's really hard to hear, but it's also like, because I've been in the situation where I'm like, I'm the only person helping this person. I'm the only person that can save this person. Having me in their life is making them at least better. And that was not the case. Having me in my their, in their life was a, enabling them to do things that were awful to people, awful to totally. me, right? Like awful doing to like you, yeah. Uh-huh. Being in their life allowed them to continue the behavior that was making their life so fucking miserable, right? Like, and it's, I had to step back and say like, I'm not going to be this person for you anymore. And I don't know where that person is right now. I hope that they're doing better, but me being in their life wasn't helping them. Me being in their life was just offering them an excuse to, to, and a person upon which to put all of their awful behavior. Mm. And I know this might seem not harsh, DC, we are echoing what you wrote us, right? Mm, you know yeah. this. You just haven't used these specific words. Mm-hmm. And and I want to call out, I want to, I want to like gently point to the fact that you say we're not back together technically, but we talk and act that way. And we've established that we are exclusive. Yeah, like you can't be not together and exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> um, DC, I love you. Um, and I want to say. You are on, you are on the path to doing this all over again. Um, and I know that it might feel as though you're being incredibly cruel and selfish to tell this person who you have love for that you can no longer be who you are to them now. Mm -hmm. Um, and that you're going to choose a healthier, more stable relationship with yourself, right? then staying with them in this unhealthy space that might feel very selfish and hurtful, but it isn't right. Mm -hmm. This is not a hurtful thing. This is you discovering what you are, that what you want to foster in your life. Um, and to, and we've humanized your partner a lot. And I, and I just want to say too, like, I want to continue that and say, like, she is hurting and she is on her, on her own journey, even though you guys are together, not together right now, you're on your own journeys and you have a choice right now to decide where this journey goes, right? She's on one and you're on the other and you're parallel right now, but it's been very painful. It's been very unstable and it's been very toxic. Mm -hmm. So you can, you can make the choice of, of moving your path off to a different way and letting hers figure out her own because she's already doing it. She's just acting out she's hurting you you know she's she's and ena- enable you're enabling each other 
Mm-hmm. Um, we're not telling you anything you didn't know internally is what I, all I want to say. For sure. Um, but that's also the purpose of this podcast. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, yeah, you, you need someone to say it directly to you. Just break it. up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the name of the podcast. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, we love you so much and we, we believe in you so deeply. I believe in you, douche canoe, if you get into another four toxic relationships, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because it takes us a long time to unfold into who we're meant to be. Becoming is a long process, right? It's a forever process. Mm-hmm. And it took me so many relationships to become the person I want to be in relationships. And it and it'll take another person one relationship and all of these things. And Spoiler alert, I'm still becoming that person every day, just like the yes, stupid, absolutely. stupid accountability about like not taking out my feelings on my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. that's real. Um, fiance. Fiance. Uh, okay, so did we cover everything we want to cover? I think so. Yeah. I just DC, like, we love you. We love you. <laughs> please, please um, know that that is 100% genuine. Absolutely. And, and, just know that we know how difficult the situation is and that we're being tough mm. because we think you need to hear it, but it's not because we don't know how hard this work is, right? Yeah. It is It is incredibly difficult to be in this type of situation. And I, my heart goes out to you to say, yes, this is really difficult and you deserve better than this. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. We love you. Thank you so much. All right, everyone, that brings us to the end of this episode. At the end of every episode, we like to set you up with something that we think you're really going to love. This week, we want to set you up with, we call it the blind date. This week, we want to set you up with. (laughs) A little off script. Uh, It is an album that dropped yesterday. I already shouted out some of the songs like a Mm -hmm. month ago, Mm -hmm. but it is uh, The Chicks, formerly known as The Dixie Chicks, put out their first album in 14 years um, yesterday called Gaslighter. And y'all, like, okay, I'm just a huge, I've always been a fan of the chicks. They're very nostalgic to me. Um, But, so that's one reason why I'm suggesting it. But I think if it it was just my nostalgia, if it was just like my love for um, the chicks, I don't know if I would suggest this album. But the whole album is so empowering and so beautiful and so painful. It's all about um, one of the main singers' divorce and their relationship, and so it's 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 all it's all pain and grit. And if you're going through a breakup, it is such a good album. Yeah, um, seriously, right? And it just it it's everything you need to hear from the anger, from the sadness to the, like, just let me go. Let me be free Mm -hmm. um, to the self-reflection. It's, it's, it is the country slash pop version of lemonade to me. (laughs) Although I mean like lemonade's up here. Lemonade is is like, no, no, you can't compare lemonade to anything. So forget Put it in a museum because that is like a timeless work of art. (laughs) Yes. Forget I said that. I'm currently writing a handwritten <laughs> letter to Beyonce to apologize yeah. right now. You're like, You're I am so Beyonce. sorry. <laughs> I am so sorry. <laughs> but in the same essence, right? A whole album about a relationship, an infidelity, all of these things. It's just such an empowering breakup album. And I listened to it in the car today with the windows down. And all of a sudden I was 18 um, 
and uh, clueless and, <laughs> you know, and singing along really loud. And then in the next moment, I was 34 and I was still clueless, but it's a great album. So it's called Gaslighter and it's by the Chicks. You can find it where you find your music. I love so, that. I was actually really glad when they changed their name to the Chicks because that's what my dad always called them. So it was oh, just I like, that. it was like, oh, I'm so glad that we've embraced this thing that my dad used to do. That's so, so cute. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening and for joining us on this live stream. It was exciting to be able to do this again. Like yes. just the amount of tickets that we sold was very yes. exciting for us. And, and thank you to everybody for celebrating our two-year anniversary with us. Um, Sam and I and Spencer love love what we do and we can't do it without all of you. And we think that our Just Breakup community, we, we love what we do, but even more than that, we think our Just Breakup listeners are really special. Um, mm. And I'm sure all podcasts think that about their listeners, but um, not all podcasts are as sappy and sentimental as we are. Yeah. <laughs> That's real. I'm not really sure if Joe Rogan gives a fuck about his listeners. <laughs> you never know. You never know. I don't know him I don't personally. Know. I, yeah, I'm just being... <laughs> uh. That was a judgmental statement. Okay, continuing. Uh. <laughs> all right everyone you can like us on facebook and you can follow us on twitter and instagram at just break up pod you can slide into our dms send us your favorite relationship memes but most importantly you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at justbreakuppod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise that's right please remember to leave a five-star rating and review and consider supporting us on patreon if you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you will get an additional bonus weekly episode. That's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. This literally keeps the lights on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice. Original music, recording, editing, and producing by our good friend, Big Cats, a.k.a. Big Spencer, cat. who um, texted me while the show was going on and said, I just Amazon primed you a new mic cable <laughs> <laughs> 10 minutes into this show. That's what a good producer is. Absolutely. Love, love you, Spencer and love all your labor labor to make this show happen. Make sure to check out his podcast, the what if podcast. And remember it may not feel like it, but you can always start again. Today is a new day. And this moment is a brand new moment full of opportunity for your most authentic self. Just because you used to respond one way or act this way doesn't mean that is your destiny. You can always find new tools, new work, new path, new choices, new you. And if all else fails, just break up. <laughs>